0: Take your scriptures this morning and turn back to the Leviticus passage we read. I don't know if you've ever seen or bought one. I know I have. Um, It's one of the books in the series. Have you seen the books for the series for dummies? Have you seen that? There's so many of them out there. There's real estate for dummies. There's personal finance. Home maintenance for dummies. Electronics. There's even, I'm not lying when I say this, there's raising goats for dummies. Politics for dummies obviously hasn't worked. Auto repair. Bowling for dummies. Here's one that I know you'll be out rushing out to get today. Beekeeping for dummies. Dating, gardening basics, Zoom meetings, even puppies for dummies. And certainly, last but not least... Bible for dummies. You can get the Bible for dummies. I have not come up with a holiness for dummies. They haven't done that one yet. But, you know, dummies is not a degrading term. It's not derogatory. It's saying something negative about your intellectual abilities. Um, and I'm going to read it off, the, off the, the book series. It says, It's a series of books that takes hard to understand topics and make them easy to grasp to enable learners at every level To fuel their pursuit of personal achievement. So if you want to pursue a topic and know more about it so you can be really good at it, these are for you. And that's why they're for dummies. They're for basics. It's starting out the easy part. They're instructional books. They're to be non-intimidating guides uh, for readers who want the basic instruction about a given topic. Leviticus is what I'm calling God's book on holiness for dummies. Um, Not because we don't know anything about it. Not because we don't have intellectual abilities. But it's God's how-to book. It's how to... And it covers the topic of how to worship and live in God's presence... ...while being surrounded by the Canaanites. For Israel, anyways. It was given to them before they entered the Promised Land. And God said, because they really already blew it at the golden calf episode... ...they didn't really know how to come into God's presence without Moses when he was up on the mountain so they already blew it and proved they really didn't know the basics. So God says, listen, as we go into the promised land, if you want me to be your God and you want me to be the center of your camp and in the middle of your people, you want me to reside in the tabernacle and you want me to keep you and protect you, you got to know how to enter my presence. And you got to do that all the while, while you're being surrounded by the Canaanites. And I can tell you that's exactly what you and i face we are surrounded by people who don't hold our views who don't believe in our god who don't believe in the scriptures so how do you and i 21st century fast forward a few thousand years how do we live holy well leviticus is very plain and and very good for us dummies when it comes to holiness because the word holy is mentioned 78 times now Before I get far, I know what you're thinking already. A a series on Leviticus, really? I mean, what do you think of when you hear Leviticus, when you hear holiness? You probably think of some austere person who's very conservative, straight-laced. You might even begin saying, oh, I know holier than thou. You think you're better than everybody else. You kind of look down your nose, maybe even a little condescending and self righteous or you might even go to the point where you say, well, I don't know, can, really, can we really be holy? Is it really possible? I mean, there aren't too many people I ask, hey, what are you reading in your Bible this week? And they all say, well, of course, Leviticus. Not too many people are saying that. Now, if you ever, how many of you ever read through the Bible in, the year, in a year? You ever gone through that program or plan? You know that when you're getting to Leviticus, you're going like, yeah. Probably going to skip over that a little bit. Or I feel I can just skip certain parts of Leviticus or most of Leviticus. But you're going like Leviticus, not thinking that's too relevant to 21st living, uh, century living in New Jersey. But can I tell you nicely, you'd be wrong. Holiness is not, hear me, it's not just a pattern or a bunch of instructions for pastors or for missionaries or for some people who are really serious Christians, no, see what this text, and the text we're going to look at, Leviticus, and the one that's used, the only time Leviticus be holy, at I'm, that phrase is quoted outside is the New Testament is 1 Peter. Only one time. But we're going to look at it because, let me tell you this, it's for all believers. All of us, not just priests, not just Levites in the Old Testament. It's for all of us, no matter who you are. And so let me tell you right up front: holiness, if you're a Christian, is not optional. It's not kind of an add-on. It's not something that you can put on there if you get around to it. No, the key phrase in Leviticus, we said it already: Be holy, for I am holy, four times, one time in First Peter. And what you get from it is for every child of God, every person in here. So if you would, over the next few weeks with some breaks in there for Mother's Day and such, let me be your guide. Let me show you from the book of Leviticus how truly important, how truly relevant Leviticus is for our everyday life, for us corporately as a church and for you personally as an individual. So let's start off because this is for dummies, right? We're going to get basic holiness definition. If you don't know what it is, So when you think of what holiness is, what comes to your mind, or most people, I would think anyways, right off the bat, is morality. And you'd be right, holiness certainly is about morality, it's not less than that. But can I tell you, it's way more than that, because you can be moral and not be a Christian. You can be a Christian and be moral for all the wrong reasons. So although holiness ends up, if it's true, in morality... It is not the basis of what holiness is all about. The Hebrew word, okay, you'll get to say this, go home or to work, and you can impress your friends. Say the word with me. It's kadosh. Say that. Now, better. Kadosh. Kadosh. Good. That is the Hebrew word for holiness. And what it means is set apart, separate. Now, when we say about God is holy, no one's surprised by that. Uh, God is set apart. He is different than everybody else. He is totally unique. He is, you know, Scripture says this phrase, there is none like him. So when we talk about God being set apart, unique, holy, different than everybody else, it's not a surprise. But what most people don't realize when you read the book of Leviticus is there are a lot of holy things in Leviticus. There's the holy land. There are holy garments that the priests wear. There's a holy table. There's a holy pot. There are holy utensils. There's a holy place where God dwells. There's a holy day called Sabbath. I mean, we have it in our culture. You, you look right here on the corner. See? Holy Bible. So is this, how is this holy? We, if you're married, you are in a relationship of holy matrimony. No one says that anymore. But it's true. What makes it holy? What makes something holy? Well, it's set apart. It's unique. This is not just like any other book. This is the holy book. This is God's book, see? Let let me give you a a pretty simple illustration. If you're reading a magazine, and, you know, when you're in college, you did this. Maybe you're, when I prepare for a sermon, or you might be preparing for a presentation at work at your job, you're going to read articles, you're reading a magazine. You might even be reading a book. Um, but say you pick up a magazine and you're looking through it, and then as you read and peruse the book a little, or the magazine a little bit, you come to an article and you say, Oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was looking for. And so, out of all the other articles and all the other information in the magazine, this is the one that you look for. So, you know what you do? I need this. So, I take my scissors and I cut it out. Now, there's a lot of articles, but this one article is different than all the other articles. And so, I separate it, I cut it out. See, now that article is mine, and I'm going to use it for my exclusive use of my purpose, and that is to put it in my presentation. See, when the Bible talks about holiness, that's the root of what God is talking about. Holiness means it's separated. It's it's set apart from all the other common things, all the ordinary things. This means, when you're holy, you have a special use for God, an exclusive use use. So it's more than just simply obeying a set of rules. People think that holiness is, okay, tell me this, don't do this, and then do this. No, way more than that. Way more than that. Here's what holiness means. It means you are holy gods. And by that, I mean W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy, completely devoted to him. Let me say it simple. Holiness means at its root, You belong to God. You belong to God. What makes a temple holy? It belongs to God. What makes a table holy, a book holy? It belongs to God. It's his. What makes a person holy? Well, you belong to God. See, in the first Corinthians, the Corinthians were not holy people. They were called saints, but they were really struggling because they had adapted to the culture around them. The Canaanites were winning in their bout with holiness. And in a very important section of 1 Corinthians, he's telling about relationships and sexuality and and moral purity. And in the middle of that, the famous verse that most of us as Christians would probably know is this. In 1 Corinthians, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which you have within you? See, that your body is God's. So therefore, it's got to be holy. It's set apart for him. You can't use your body like the world tells you to. God says, no, I have a purpose for your body. And then it says this. Here's the reason. For you were bought with a price, and you are, listen, you are not your own. See, you know what holiness means? Holiness means you belong to God. The opposite, or the antithesis of that is you belong to yourself. So one of the first things we've got to get under our spiritual belt when it comes to holiness is... ...is that you belong to God. So holiness is deeper than a list of do's and don'ts. It's an attitude of your heart. Let me tell it to you this way. Holy people say this. Use me, God. I'm yours. The opposite of that would be... ...if you're unholy is, okay, God, you're holy, I need to be holy... Tell me all the rules and the things i got to follow so we can get on with this. See, that's not what holy people say. Holy people just aren't looking for the do and the don't, the right and wrong. It's not so black and white like that because holiness goes deeper. A holy person says, no, I don't say it that way. Here's what I say. God, I belong to you. I'm set apart for you. And then it says, as a result of that, tell me how you want me to live my life every day in your presence. Tell me how I can work it out every day and in every way. It doesn't matter what the issue is, how big or little the topic is. God, I want to live like you want me to live. Because here's why. Because I belong to you. Now, if you looked at all the passages in eleven forty-four 44, and 45, 19,2, 20, and verse 7. Those are all the four uses of be holy for I am holy. And God says, yeah, each one of us, every day as Christians, we have to decide whether who it, we belong to. Do we belong to ourselves? Do we belong to our world? Or do we belong to him? That's the basis for living out holiness. So we come to our text, if you'll turn to chapter 10, and verses 1 through 3. That's the principle, that's the concept I wanted you to get this morning. But what will it look like, Listen, what does it look like When I live holy, and what does it not look like when I'm not living holy? Nadab and Abihu give us a great example of that in the very context of the first usage of be holy for I am holy. You're going to read this text or we did already, and you're going to see as we go through it for a few minutes that there are three fires. And I'm going to start off with that overall view because here's what I want you to cite up front. See, there's the fire that comes down in chapter 9, the last couple verses that we did read, and it consumes the offering that God said was holy. And see, that's the the fire of acceptance. But the same symbol and the same thing God does, he does when he consumes, listen, Nadab and Abihu. So see, there's a fire of rejection. So the, the text is set up like this. There's either the fire of God that will receive and accept your worship, and there's a fire of God that doesn't receive your worship. That it's not acceptable. See, there's unholy and there's holy. And the question is, when you read the text, which fire are you going to get? That's the idea that you're supposed to think. Because in between, there's a third fire, and that's the fire of Nadab and Abihu, and what they did wrong, and why they weren't accepted to God. And so you're supposed to think, while I'm talking today, is that, does my life, and my worship of God, and my devotion to Him, is it acceptable to Him? Would he really think, when I'm giving it with my life every day, would he really think that's holy or not? Am I worshiping him on my terms or his terms? Leviticus 8 and 9, leading up to the story of Nadab and Abihu, are about all of God's commandments, about how Aaron and his sons, who are priests, the main people, who can come into his presence, how they can enter it in the tabernacle, how they can do it and still live. Chapter 8 and 9 issue five different offerings that you can bring to God for the various things going on in your life. We're not going to talk about all of them. You can read them for yourselves. But they are the way that you have to come to God. And so there's been a whole week of consecration. And they made the tabernacle, and they put up all these things, and, and the priest Sons, Nadab, they have consecrated themselves to God. And now we're on the eighth day, and it's the day of dedication of the tabernacle. I mean, this is a high day. This is one of the best days that's happened in Israel in a long time. They've been freed from Egypt. Now they have their, their own God, and they're going to worship him, and, and it's going to be one of the great days. So they offer up in chapter 9 the sacrifice, all the people there. In fact, the people, that little phrase, the people, is used three times. So you imagine thousands and thousands. Hundreds of thousands of people there because this is super big. This is a celebration. This is one of the biggest days in a long time. And God's glory appears. And the fire comes down from the Lord and it consumes the offerings. And God says, I accept those. But then celebration turns into devastation. Triumph turns into tragedy. And a terrifying scene takes place just the next few verses. Aaron's two eldest sons die. They are consumed by God. They have to have their bodies dragged out of the tabernacle. Why? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us guessing. It says, because they offered unauthorized fire. One author calls it alien fire. Not aliens from outer space, but alien Mean it's not supposed to be there. One author says it's strange fire, strange in the sense that it wasn't commanded by God. So look at the text real quick with me. Would you do that? There's a contrast, and the contrast in this passage is absolutely crucial to understanding whether you're acceptable to God. Verse 24 of chapter 9 and verse 2 of chapter 10 give us the exact same wording. Both of them say this phrase, fire came out from before the Lord. Both of them, 9.24 and 10.2, have the exact same thing. But, and they use the exact same word of what happens when the fire comes. And that word is consumed. But here's the difference. In chapter 9.24, it's the offerings of the animals that are consumed. In chapter 10 and verse 2, it is Nadab and Abihu who are consumed. Now, the contrast isn't there, done there yet because in, when the offering is given and the fire comes down and God consumes it and accepts their worship, here's what the people do. They shout. I mean, there's a noise. I mean, there's celebration. And they all fall down on their face and they worship God. It is a great day. God is among us. But notice the contrast. When Nadab and Abihu are, are, are giving God unacceptable worship and he consumes them, you know what Aaron does? He doesn't shout. The Bible says he holds his peace, and it's the Hebrew word for silent. So the acceptable sacrifice gives a shout. Everyone's happy, enjoys celebrating. And the other one is Aaron doesn't say a word. He's completely silent. And why are those contrasts in there? Because here's what God wants his people to see, and here's what he brought you here for this morning. He wants you to see that there is a radical and drastic difference between what you may think God wants and what he really wants. Throughout Leviticus, two times, in the book of Numbers, two times, the death of Nadab and Abihu are reviewed. In other words, four times in Torah, Israel is told about the details of this incident. Why? Here's why. Because it's a warning. It wasn't just mentioned in our text, but another time in Leviticus 16, twice in the book of Numbers. Why? Because God wants to say this. I am holy, And you need to understand what that means if you're to fulfill the other part. Be holy for I am holy. See, you may look at this and say, wow. I mean, what did they do wrong? What could unauthorized fire really mean? And you say, hey, I know that God said this and they may have done that. But doesn't it seem like a detail? I mean, doesn't it just seem a little extreme that they forgot one of the things or didn't do it quite right. And then God consumes them with fire. I mean, doesn't that seem a little off the deep end to you? Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. Moses, the greatest leader of Israel's history. And, and, and all that he went through and how awful at times Israel the people were to him as their leader. I mean, they tried to stone him. They were, and this is the greatest guy ever. I mean, he put up with so much. He was so meek and gentle and patient with them. And he blows it one time. They provoke him so much. He strikes the rock and God goes, that's it. You're not going in the promised land. And and you read that and you go, are you seriously? I mean, Moses is the greatest guy. I mean, everybody's going to blow it, right? That's not how God views it. Achan was told that the first city in Canaan, Jericho, was Korban, the Hebrew word. It was dedicated to God. You couldn't take any of the spoils or any of the animals or anything. So when no one was looking, he took some gold and silver and some Babylonian garments and he hid it in his tent. It wasn't a lot, but it was something. And it was, it was what God said not to do. So they bring him out and they stone him and they stone his family and they stone his animals. And then when they're done stoning him to death, they burn them with fire. You say, seriously? Can't he just put them back? God said no. The men of Beth Shemesh in 1 Samuel chapter 6 have the ark of God come to their town. They look inside the ark and it's forbidden to look or get near the ark or look inside. Seventy men were killed that day. Uzzah, the ark was put on the wrong kind of cart and it was unsteady. It hit something in the road and it started to flop and it was going to fall over. Uzzah reaches out with great intentions, steadies the ark and God strikes him dead. Unknown story, pretty much. 1 Kings 13. The prophet is told by God to go to a certain place, but don't go back a certain way. He is invited by another man to go back that way. He's convinced that this guy is telling him what God wants him to do. He goes back, and God says, I told you not to go back that way. And a lion comes and kills him. Uzziah the king, one of Israel's greatest kings, offers incense on the altar he's not a priest so he wasn't allowed to do it and it doesn't seem like a big thing and god strikes him down with leprosy and he dies in leper a leper and outside the palace for the rest of his rule and reign ananias and sapphira they say they're going to give everything to god and they hold back part of it and god says i know your heart and they come in individually because they conspired together and god strikes them dead one at a time Paul writes to people in Corinth that you're not taking the Lord's Supper right. Imagine this, you're going to be thinking twice about the Lord's Supper next time we take it, right? You're not taking the Lord's, in fact, you're you're so selfish when you come to the table. He says, because of that, some of you are sick and some of you have died. Really, you didn't come to the Lord's table with the right heart and God says some of you have died because of it? I mean, see, you look at these examples that the Bible catalogs for us. And you know what they build up? You know what they teach us? That, see, you don't view holiness. You and I, we don't see it the way God sees it. All of these stories, all of them I just listed for you, are examples of direct disobedience to what God has said. Unauthorized, strange fire. The word Zara in Hebrew really means this that which was not commanded. Last contrast, in the text leading up to chapter 10, in chapter 9, verses 6, 7, and 10, here's what's describing all the things that they were preparing to do on that day. And here's the description of it. As the Lord commanded. As the Lord commanded. As the Lord commanded. As the Lord commanded Moses. See, that was the pattern. Everything they were to do on this day, when they came into God's holy presence, was to do what he said to do. And that's what happens all until we get to our text and they offer the unauthorized fire and it says this, which the Lord had not commanded. It's a break in the pattern. What does that mean for us? Listen. Holiness means this it means this to be holy is to obey. That simple. To be holy is to obey. Hebrews twelve twenty five, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Listen to this, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a and, and I believe the writer of Hebrews is referring to this, and you want to come before God, you want to offer up your spiritual sacrifices, we don't go to a temple, and we don't have animals, we don't slay them, but we come to church, and here's what God says, when you come to church, and you sing the songs, and you give offering to God in the plate, and you tell God that you're living for Him, and you want to worship Him, He says, is your offering acceptable? He says, and you should not be less fearful or less afraid are less committed than they were back then. He says, if God spoke in the old covenant on Mount Sinai and he shook the earth and warned them, he says, now he speaks from heaven. Shouldn't you be even more afraid? And here's what he concludes with, because our God is a consuming fire. The next chapter says this of God, the same yesterday, today, forever. You know why? Because our God is just as holy today as he was on the day in Leviticus chapter 10. To be holy is to obey his commandments. Why? Because you belong to God. You are completely devoted to him. So you want to, hear me, not out of duty, but you want to obey him in every area of your life. And so let's get really practical. Ready? Here's some things that were commanded in Leviticus that you're to give 10% of your income, and the Bible calls the tithe holy. It is set-apart money. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. That's why it's holy. Remember our definition? And I know that if you make a little, it may be hard. And sometimes when you make a lot... It goes everywhere, and it doesn't last as long as you think, right? And I know that you're saying 10% is a lot. Let me tell you this. This isn't the decision of whether you can or cannot. This is the decision of who owns it. It belongs to God. And I can say that because the last year and a half have been the best giving in faith Baptist church we've had probably since I've been here. So I'm not looking for you to give more money because somehow we need it. Although, you need to do what God wants you to do. What I want you to do is to be holy, I want you to be holy with your money. You know what else Leviticus talks about? You can't marry a Canaanite. And you can't marry people who are outside of Israel. And see, it's wrong to be unequally yoked together. And here's what God says. Is your relationship with the person that you really have in your life, and that special person, is it a holy one? That's why we can't live together. That's why Leviticus condemns uh, adultery and fornication. And in a a roundabout way, pornography, and of course, lust. You know why? Because moral purity is the outworking of saying, I belong to God. My relationships belong to God. My marriage belongs to God. We're going to get to it, but Leviticus also says, first time in the Bible, by the way, in Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you wouldn't have known that probably, right? Because you think it's a bunch of rules. But it's not just about you and God vertically. Holiness is about you and others horizontally. So it says love strangers. And even love those people that can't take care of yourself. And if your brother comes and you have to take care of him, you can't charge him interest. And when you loan something to him, you can't exorbitantly charge interest to him. And you've got to take care of him. Why? Because God says, here's what holiness means. I'm not an unforgiving person. I'm not wrapped up and controlled by bitterness. I'm not someone who is given over to anger. You know what? I'm a person that's patient and kind and loving and committed. God says that you can't treat other people who are not Israelites different than what you treat your own people. That's why Leviticus condemns racism. Do you know racism is a lack of holiness? And it also condemns materialism because you've got to set apart your crops so that people can come by who don't have anything and they can eat the fringes of the crops and they can have food and you have to take care of the foreign and the stranger, people who aren't even in your land. They're, just, they're not part of your people. You still have obligations. That's why materialism is wrong, and that is to use all of your money in America for yourself and not think of the needs of others. See, all of that stuff is about holiness, holiness on god's terms and not ours and that's exactly what nadab and abihu forgot is it what you forget do you forget that holiness begins when we see god's holiness first you see the little phrase be holy here's the little word for here's the reason for i am holy let's get it straight the beginning of our series you are not the standard of holiness American culture is not the standard for holiness. Look around at everyone in this room. Good Christians, they are not the standard of holiness. He is. Be holy. Why? For I am holy. So cultural holiness won't do. Remember what I said? Holiness is not adapting to the Canaanites around us. The world in which we live. So one of the things that priests had to do, and eventually the people of Israel had to be able to be good at, is what, here's what the Bible says, distinguishing between holy and unholy, clean and unclean. You had to have the wisdom and discernment to say, here's what God's word says, so I have to draw lines. This is something I should be devoted to or not devoted to. So we don't listen to music based on whether I like the style or I like the the kind of genre of the music it is. No, it's whether it's holy or not. It's not my favorite singers in the world. It's not whether I like this entertainer, or this movie is really cool, or my favorite actress or actor is in there, or this TV show, I really enjoy it. It's whether it's clean or unclean, whether I'm to be able to discern between whether it's right or wrong in God's eyes. So when I go to the closet and I pick out the wardrobe and the the things I'm going to wear this today, and I define what modesty is... See, you know what I do? I don't make choices based on what's fashionable, what's in vogue, what's on the cover of the latest magazine, what all the other girls are wearing. No, here's what I ask. Am I holy as he is holy? My priorities, what I value the most, how I view my money, how I view other people. See, I cannot adapt to cultural holiness, and I can't even adapt to quote-unquote Christian holiness. In our churches today, they have women preachers accepting homosexuality as normal. Transgenderism is on the way in, not out in churches. False gospels that say, hey, money is more important than anything. Those are some of the things happening in our church. Churches across America. But God has not called us to be like everybody else. And that's the hard part, isn't it? To teach yourself to be holy, to get your teenagers to be holy. You know what you're going to have to accept ahead of time? Is that you will be out of step with culture. And that is not easy because we want to be like everybody else. We want to be accepted by people. We want their praise and opinion. We can't handle it when people disagree with us. But here's what God says. To be holy as I am holy automatically includes that. And here's the phrase I often told my kids. I'm not asking you to be odd different. I'm asking you to be God different. It's not that we don't wear cool clothes in fashion. It's not that it's wrong to go to a movie. It's not that I don't have a TV. It's not that I don't listen to music. But the choices I make and the values I have and the priorities of which I pursue them, they're all different because my God is holy. And I belong to him. See, Jerry Bridges said it this way, holiness is nothing less than conformity to the character of God. And when I talk to people about holiness problems in their lives, I often will hear things like, well, that's just the way I am. There's a Greek word for that, excuse. I'm still growing in that area. I know, we all are. And so was Moses. He didn't go to the promised land. I'm a work in progress, Pastor Walker. We all are. It's still wrong. See, Nadab and Abihu, they had all the right clothes on, and they were in the right place, and most of the things they doing were right, and they were killed, because they weren't gripped by God's holiness. Because when you're gripped by God's holiness, here's what one thing you know for sure will happen. You will hate sin. Joseph is asked by Potiphar's wife, in a very difficult circumstance, being traded as a slave in a foreign land, totally let go by his brothers. She confronts him to be sexually immoral, and here's what he says to her in Genesis 39, 9. How can, that I didn't, how can I then do this great wickedness, listen, and sin against God? Not just a wickedness, the magnitude of it, a great wickedness. He could have said, no one will know. I deserve some pleasure because of what my brothers did to me. And I'm a slave. And I have God will never say that this is too bad for me. He didn't say, you know what he says? I couldn't do that because here's what happened. And he goes through all the horizontal things. "I've I've been elevated in your house. Your husband trusts me. You are his wife. He gives you all the horizontal reasons. But the biggest one in his life was this. It's a sin against God. I can't do that. On the other side of the question, not only can God's holiness as a motivation keep you from sin, but when you do sin, it, it allows you and helps you to repent. David said, after committing adultery with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, four, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You see how he calls it that? Even after he had sinned against God, it was God's holiness that drove him. Yeah, he sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against Uriah, he sinned against Israel. But you know what his biggest problem was? God, i sinned against you and you're holy. i got to repent. The problem with a lack of holiness in our lives, and if that's true of you this morning, in whatever area it might be, is that we don't take sin seriously. We fool around with it. We trifle with it. We think that we can handle it. And that's why some of you, as men, still use the internet when no one else is around. Foolishness. We have mentally categorized sins into that which is unacceptable and that which may be tolerated. All believing the lie that we can handle it. Proverbs 28, 6 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. That's why I said it was foolish. Cheating is wrong, but if we really need to, it's okay to lie on your taxes. Stealing is wrong, but it's okay to take stuff from work. I'm just borrowing it, although we never return it. Lying is a sin against God. But if I have to pad my resume and say a few things that aren't exactly accurate to get the better job, so be it. It's wrong to gossip and talk behind people's back, but I'm just praying for them. We like to really hound people, don't we? Sins of the flesh, you can't do this. And, but sins of the spirit, having a bad attitude, slandering, gossiping, talking about people, having bitterness in your heart, being unforgiving. See, we're okay with the sins of the spirit. We judge actions, but we're not very good at judging the attitudes and motivations that go with them. And so here's what Moses says to Aaron in verse 3. Among those who are near me, and that's a worship term. You want to come near me? You want to live in my presence? You want to be close to God? He says, here's what's true. I will be sanctified. I will be set apart. You can't come close to me and not make me number one. You can't come close to me. And Robert Alter translates it this way. Those who come close to me shall I be hallowed. I have to be hallowed. I have to be set apart. You can't treat me like your boss. You can't. So we show up to work on time, but we come to church later, if not at all. God says, you can't treat me like that. I will be sanctified. And then he says this, watch the parallel and I'll close. And before all the people, I will be glorified. I will be sanctified, I will be glorified. Did you know this? That when you are sanctified, you bring glory to God When you live holy because you belong to him, it puts him publicly on display that he is glorious. And here's the Hebrew word, kabod. It means weighty. It means heavy. It means that he is the most significant person in your life. So when you say holy, 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 the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. See how holiness and glory go together? So that when you live holy, 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 not just say it, but live it you are telling people how great and infinitely valuable and worthy he is. So when you say no to the love of money, you're telling everybody who watches you live that kind of life that God is more satisfying than all that money in the bank or that car in my driveway. And so when you say no to sexual impropriety and un- ungodliness, you know what you're telling everybody? That he is so weighty in my life that the pleasure he brings me is greater than anything sexually that anyone could do for me. When I have to get revenge or I'm hated, hateful to others... Or you name it, alcohol, drugs, I find satisfaction at the end of a needle or at the bottom of some bottle. See, when I don't do those things and go those routes, you know what? I'm making him glorious. I'm saying no to sin, but yes to him. Because he is glorious. My holiness displays his gloriousness. So I don't know about you, the choices are pretty simple in this text. To be holy is to be on fire for God or to be on fire by God. And I can tell you this, I'd like this one over this one any day. We need a church, don't we? We need dads, husbands, moms, children who are on fire for God, whose whole life is an act woven together as a concert of worship to a holy God, putting him on display to tell people how great and magnificent and worthy he is and how much better he is than anything our culture will offer us. And so we pray this, O God... May our holiness display your gloriousness. May you be seen by the way that we live, belonging to you, that there's nothing more glorious than our God. Let's pray. Father, you are holy, and we, as your holy people, belong to you. We're not our own. We gave up those rights the day that we allowed the, wa- the blood of Jesus to wash away our sins. We are not our own. We're yours. We don't call the shots. You do. You do and everything. Father, help us to grasp that, that we might be holy as you are holy. And we'll praise you in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.